You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. I hope you're uh, enjoying your week. Ryan, it's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Hello. Good to see you, too. Sometimes I feel like my energy is down, but then, you know, you don't want to be all high strung on these things when people are listening on the road and it's easy going, it's easy to listen to. Hey, how are you? You don't want to hear that shit. No, you want it comforting. You want it comforting. All announcers should talk like this, Ryan. Should be gentle inside of you. Gently inside of you. Uh, I appreciate all the uh, the fan mail. I appreciate all the well wishes. Um, you guys are great. All my patrons, I love you. You know that. If you want to support the podcast in more than one way, go to patreon.com slash inside of you. I'll write a little message to you. It's awesome. Uh, there's lots of perks. Some people get boxes for me every couple of months and there's just tons of stuff check it out patreon.com slash inside of you uh and also we just we're gonna get right into the interview but uh uh if you want to follow us if you're listening for neil mcdonough i'd love for you to follow the podcast on the social and subscribe means a lot spread the word uh at inside of you podcast on the uh, instagram and facebook at inside of you pod on the tweeter and that's how that is. And then you can subscribe on YouTube. You can watch the whole video or you could listen in your car like some of you are doing right now. Raj, I know you're there. I know you're listening. Just a random name. I mean, he's a patron. So I thought I'd give him a shout out. You know what I mean? I hope he doesn't crash when he hears that. Yeah. So, well, what the heck? No, he <gasps> he'd probably just be upset about it. Uh, and if you want to shop at the Inside of You online store, go there. And there's uh, there's tons of stuff. Lex Luthor uh, autograph pictures. There's You can get small of the lunchboxes, uh, Inside of You tumblers, T-shirts, much more. Also, my band, Sunspin. I'm wearing the Sunspin shirt. You can go to sunspin.com, get shirts, book Zooms with me, uh, lots of other stuff. And uh, yeah. That's that's that. And uh, great guest. Did you enjoy this one? Yeah, it was a fun one. I did. This guy has been in everything like Desperate Housewives, Band of Brothers, Minority Report, Flags of Our Father, uh, Walking Tall. uh, Just, I mean, everything. He's been in everything and he's always so committed. And what a great story and how open he was. Uh, I'm excited about this one. I think this one's... uh, I think people are going to like this one. I hope you like it. I'm sure you'll tell me if you don't. He's also a friend of mine. I play ice hockey with him. He he and his wife have a wonderful relationship. I love watching them together. They're the perfect example of the rare example when a couple just works. They work so well together, and I love the love that they share, and uh, it uh, gives me hope. Let's get inside of Neil McDonough. It's my point of view. Listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. All right, so look, uh, we know each other. We we go to these hockey tournaments. It's been many years, but I always, I always just loved you and Ruve, your wife, and. I just, you have this energy together where you see a couple together and you're like, oh, that couple, you know, that couple's going to make it. A lot of couples you look at and you don't see that, but with you guys. with each other 21 years later, that's, that's kind of the key to it. It's, you know, you know, we're sitting here last night, you know, having dinner. We're we're back here in Canada now. We're quarantining for a while. And, you know, a song comes on the radio and the kids are just hanging. We're all having dinner. And I just grabbed her vein and started dancing with her in front of all the kids and dipped her and groped her and kissed her. And that's what you do. You got to show your kids love, too, and affection. That's 
you know, that's what, that, that's what makes everyone happy. Neil, this podcast isn't about me, but I never saw that once. I never saw my father grab my mother and kiss her. And I mean, maybe I saw him kiss her once or, but like, yeah, it was very rare to see them. It was a different, it was a different time. It was, uh, you know, my, my mom and dad, you know, kiss each other, but I never saw them really groping, but you know, they, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they were, they were, you know, affectionate enough in, in that time and age, but you know, now it's a, it's a different time and it's okay to show your feelings and your emotions towards people. And, 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 you know, I think I think that's 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 if there's anything good that's come out of all of this as of late, it's you know find the people that you love and love the snot out. Don't don't stop loving and, and enjoy them because you don't know what's up next. You don't know what's coming on tomorrow. You don't and you can't worry about what happened yesterday. All you can worry about is what's happening in this moment right now and just find the love. You know, and Michael, you've always been that way. You've always been about okay. You know, we'd be in locker rooms and it'd be you know tense or boring or something you'd come in and, and start cracking jokes and make everyone, you know, <laughs> you know, light and happy. And, and, you know, you're amazing at that. You're, you are the, the love infuser in every room that I go to, which is great. Well, I think it comes from insecurity. I come into a room and I just feel like I, I have to say something. I have to do something. If they laugh, they like me. Maybe but no one, no one like else me. does. You know, everyone's, you know, everyone's serious in life. Life has, be, has, has gotten very serious on so many levels. Yeah. You know, but you, Rosie, you come in and just, you, you shake it up. And that's, it's, it's, you know, well, this is my, by the way, my first podcast. This is the very first podcast you're doing. The very first one. Very first one. I'm, I'm honored that I'm on your show, Mike. I am honored too, and I and I give credit a lot to the wife, the wifey Reve, because Reve made that happen, didn't she? Totally, absolutely. You know, if it weren't you, I, 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 you know, me, I'm a pretty private guy. Why is it? Why is it that you don't do podcasts? Have you not been asked? I'm sure you've been asked. Yeah, I just, I've just never, I, I like. I love acting and I love the mystique of Neil McDonough as this actor and that no one really knows that much about him, but in real life, I'm this really goofy family guy, you know, and I kind of, I like my private life with, with, with Ravey and the kids, you know, and as much as I put myself out there, you know, I coach all the kids in their sports or, you know, I'm there for all the meetings or I'm there for whatever it takes to make the kids, you know, succeed whenever they can succeed in or be happier. You know, I'm always, I'm all in. But acting to me is, is my job, and I generally don't talk about it too much. <laughs> All right. Ever. Well, well. Uh, by the way, we have this new segment called um, How You Doing? It's kind of a mental health check-in. It's just how you doing. And and it's just like right now, I know you're quarantining in, in Canada, and you got the family, and you got five of you, well, six of you counting Reve. Seven of that, you, counting you. Seven. You're the Brady Bunch. But, I mean, how are you doing? Are you, are, I mean, look, you're a happy-go-lucky guy, but, uh, you know, how, how are you feeling? How are you doing? I've always been that guy. You know, I have, I have a great relationship with God, and, and that's kind of paramount to me, and it's God first, me second, or family first, me second. And, you know, those kind of the, the mantras that I always kind of live by. So, you know, through all this you know, through this pandemic, as horrible and horrific as, as it has been for so many people, you know, you know, just, you know, tragic on, you know, personal ways and economic ways and so many ways that that's been so hard and it's been hard on, on us too. But, you know, overall it has given me, you know, a phenomenal gift that I got to spend an exorbitant amount of time with my wife and my five kids, you know, and, you know, we just did a film this last year uh, called Boone that Rebe and I produced together. Uh, and we did it in Spokane, which was, which was awesome. Uh, and you know, the whole family was with us the whole time. So literally I was sitting, we were sitting there having dinner last night and sitting around the table. And I said to Rebecca, I said, you know, we haven't, we've been with the kids 24 seven for a year. 
and we love each other more today than we did even yesterday. And it's, it's been such a blessing to get to hang out with, you know, with them and get to know them. Cause usually we're at work or you're traveling or this is that, or they're at sports or they're at ballet or something. You know, it, it's been great that on, on one level that we got to spend so much time with each other and learn from each other and, and try to make each other better. But don't you don't, I mean, come on, you're human. You got to have bad days. You got to have, lose your stuff every once in a while. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You're, you know, we're, we're dads, we're humans, we're, we're husbands, we're, but you know, you're always trying to be, you know, you know, I, I'm blessed that I'm not that intelligent, you know, that I can just get, keep my nose down and keep pressing with, with the same kind of message in my head of, of trying to find goodness and try to be the best that I can be in everything that I do. Wow. You know, so it, it's, it's kind of always a driving force to me. How can I eat better? How, what can I do to, to work out better? What can I do to make God happy? What can I do to make Brevet and the kids happier? So like five years ago, you know, I, you know, as, as a young, as a good Irish guy, you know, I love drinking, you know, it, it was, it was part of my everyday thing. And it, it was always there and accessible, especially when you're in Hollywood. It's like, Hey, Neil, have a drink, have another drink, have another drink. Yeah. And, and five years ago, I just cut it out. I said, okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And for five years I've been sober and it's been, you know, you know, the greatest decision, second greatest decision I ever made in my life, other than obviously asking Ruby to marry me. Were you, were you drinking a lot though for someone to see? Yeah, I was, you know, I was a Hollywood guy. You're always drinking. It's always part and I'm Irish. So, you know, it, it definitely became a problem for me. And it was a problem that I, I didn't want my kids to see. And I didn't want, look, being, being a, trying to be the best dad you can be, that doesn't fit in. Trying to be the best husband you can be, it, it doesn't fit in. And trying to be great at work. You know, the last five years of work for me have been, you know, really just phenomenal from just being, you know, the bad guy in everything yeah. to, you know, the good guy. And now I'm, I'm off doing, Ryan Murphy just called me this week to, to play Eisenhower in American Horror Story. Wow. Wow. I could totally see that. Totally. I totally, could totally, totally. see yeah. it. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, the, you know, the good Lord works in strange ways. Here we are, we're, you know, are moving back to California. Don't know where, don't know what we're going to do. And then we get this, that, you know, shooting the show now this fall, you know, at Fox. You know, it, it's it's a great way to come back into Los Angeles, uh, and I, you know, I couldn't be happier or more blessed that, that this gift was given to me from above and from Ryan Murphy. That's amazing. And so, uh, when I meet Ryan, there's going to be a big hug going his way because that's that's such a, a great gift to play someone that I have always looked up to as you know, you know, a centrist when it comes to, to politics, as was Eisenhower. You know, the things that that guy did. You know, everyone. You know, he was he almost ran on the Democratic ticket, almost ran the Republican. You know, he finally ran the Republican ticket ticket but you know, he, he was this amazing guy who cared so much about humanity and uh learning so much about him now in the last couple of days doing more research i'm, I'm just i'm i'm you know gobsmacked at how fortunate yes. i am to, to, to play something amazing like ike that is freaking awesome you know you talk about religion and you're a devout catholic and you've been i mean was this something that was instilled on you by your parents and or from from a young age that you just kept with you and it got stronger and stronger was that a, a kind of thing or did you, did you find it at an age or how did that happen no it, it was it was you know my parents were you know growing up in boston i lived right across the street from the church at, at st peter's so um you know i was always at the church or you know playing stickball in front of the church or, or you know and then when we finally moved to cape cod I spent a lot of time, you know, going to mass every Sunday with, you know, my mom would, we had a motel. So my mom would go to the early mass. Uh, my dad would go to the evening mass. Yeah, your uh, parents uh, owned, they were motel owners. Yeah, small motel, mom and pop motel, 40 room motel in Cape Cod. Wow. Great way to grow up. Had a lake, had a coffee shop. 
you know, by the time I was five, I was washing dishes in the restaurant and showing rooms and, you know, you know, and by the time I was 20, I was you know, running, uh, we, we bought a second motel, uh, and, um, it, it was just a great way to grow up and, and learn business. It, it, it was a really fantastic place. Right. But, you know, so I would go to church with my dad on, you know, on Sundays at five o'clock and, you know, it was, it was always just a bonding time with me and my dad. And, and I always loved that time. And, you know, we would do the baskets and do the collections and they were good to John's Loft restaurant, which is in Hyannis. The whole family would meet after and You know, my brothers and my sister, uh, you know, four older brothers and older sister, they all went to parochial school. I was the only one who didn't. So, you know, I'm the only one who's really still practicing Catholicism, which was, it was interesting. So it it was more of an organic, uh, you know, relationship that that I, that I had. And then when I was in high school, uh, I did this uh, thing called Echo. And then I I really became close to to God in, in my relationship and tried to just aspire to be better instead of being, you know, you know, I just tried to be the best at everything I could do. Right. I became very competitive with just myself, not with anybody else. And um, it, it was a relationship with God. I always just say, be the best you can be. Just try harder. Well, that's got to be tough. That's got to be tough because in this in Hollywood, to be someone who's religious, now obviously we you've talked about this ad nauseum and people know about it, but like you've gotten like released or couldn't do roles or refused to do roles based on like you won't do a kissing scene, Right. But some no, for some, unless you know the, the great, yeah, I won't, I won't do kissing scenes. I'm, I've, I've never wanted to do it, and you know, I got crucified about ten years ago where you know, they thought I was this religious zealot that I wouldn't do sex scenes, and it was really because I love my wife more than I love my craft, and people couldn't understand that. They can't, they couldn't grasp that. So I had to become the best bad guy uh, because I had to provide for my five kids and and a beautiful wife, and and so you know the that's what I, I had to keep doing. And then finally, a couple of years ago, when I started to executive produce things, I did this movie called Greater, which is this faith-based football film. A phenomenal movie. And, and you know, that started me on the trend of doing these good guys with this gray past and, and grappling with their faith. And now this this film that we just finished called Boone uh, is, is that he's a hitman who has to find his place with, with God. And it's, you know, it's great that I, that Renee and I now get to create vehicles for me that I get to write and and be in that I don't have to just do uh you know movies that are out there that I have to go fight for I can build my own movies and 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 craft them that way and so so for me to to also have that ability to to make movies that talk about God and talk about how we are flawed and how we all make mistakes and how it's it's how you you know get up after you make a mistake not 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 wallowing in your mistake yeah better person and and i like making movies like that tv shows like that and you know that's if if i never make a movie for anyone else again for the rest of my life i'm okay with it as long as i'm making movies that that's crazy doing and and with a great message i mean you you know that you talk about that and you do you think when it was scoundrels right that was the big thing that scoundrels you wouldn't do a sex scene or something and then they released you and so you saying after that it was it was a very difficult time in your life for work i mean were you or were you only getting back talk about drink talk about drinking then you know there was two years of me not getting a job and losing my you know big house at hancock park and cars and everything and begging from this and you know, I, would, I was never a guy who would ask to, to borrow money from anyone i'd rather just figure it out myself so i lost basically everything uh, and then, you know, I've told the story before that, you know, I, I, you know, and me being a great, you know, going to church every day, you know, always praying, trying to figure out what's going on. And one day in my house, you know, before we had to sell it, before it got foreclosed on to start with, um, 
you know, I remember saying to God, why have you forgotten about me? What have I done that I deserve this? And as soon as that came out of my mouth, Michael, I fell to the ground and started sobbing. Uh, and two minutes later, I got a phone call from Graham Yost, who wrote Band of Brothers in Boomtown. He goes, hey, you want to be the villain in a couple episodes of Justify? I was like, yes, yes, I do. Uh, it was kind of the greatest thing that ever happened to me in so many ways because I, I fell in love with acting again because I had something to prove. I had to prove to everyone that, you know, that I am a great actor and, and that, you know, a person that you want to have on your set. And after the very first take of the first scene, uh, Graham came up to me and goes, you want to be the villain for the whole year, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. And, and I was. And because wow. of that, you know, awards came and attention came and all of a sudden everyone started forgetting about uh, the other stuff. And, you know, it's been, you know, the last 10 years of work has been, you know, coming up here in Vancouver with all the shows. Of, you know, I owe so much to Greg Berlanti for bringing me up for, or, you know, Arrow. Arrow, Flash and Legends, and then right. Yellowstone came up with that, and Suits, and you know, all these other shows and movies. And it's just been, uh, it's just been a phenomenal, phenomenal couple of years. And uh, yeah, no, no, I, couldn't, I couldn't be happier. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found- I got Rocket Money. <laughs> Okay, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period, it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra. Uh, 
between you know streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services, it's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the -the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I mean, do you deep down like playing the villain better or is it kind of no. like you don't because you, you've played it so many times? You know, it's, it's not that I, I, I really like playing guys more like us, guys who are human and guys who are flawed and guys who are trying to do the right thing. And right. those are the guys that 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 I've always gravitated towards. I've always loved, you know, you know, John Wayne's movies. You know, I always loved, you know, Clint Eastwood's movies. I love the simple messages of. This guy's flawed, but at the end of the day, he's going to be the Popeye Doyle. He's going to get the job done. You know, however he has to do it, he's going to get the job done. And I love those guys. You know, it's kind of like, you know, my dad or my family growing up, you know, we'd get the job done. And that's kind of the guys that are like, so when to play villains, yeah, they're fun. They're absolutely fun. You know what it's like to play a villain. Yeah. You play one of the greatest villains of all time. And, you know, to, to, to have that, you know, kind of fun you know, you can never make a bad choice as long as you believe it. You can go as right. big as you want or as small as you want as a villain, and no one ever gives you notes. Good guys get notes. <laughs> That's for sure. For me, when I, I could kill 50 guys in a scene, and after that, you know, we're laughing, going back home, and everything's normal. But if, as a good guy, you know, with, the, you know, hard-on-the-sleeve type of characters I've been playing, especially for the last few years, it's hard to slough those guys up. You know, if you go back to, you know, Buck Compton and Band of Brothers or, you know, Wyatt Kane and, and Tin Man, those are the, the good guys that I played that were really hard for me to, to, to shake off because I had to really dig deep in, into me and pull out more of the real Neil McDonough to play those characters instead of playing Damien Dark, which was a blast. Don't get me wrong. I had, I had a phenomenal time playing Damien Dark for all these years. Um, and, and I look forward to playing him again. But I, I do love playing you know the good guys because I get to learn more about me and appreciate what I have. Is uh, Morgan Little Buck... Is that uh, that comes yeah, from? Little, little Buck is, is bigger than me now. He's you know fifteen and six foot one, and you know he's you know just this great kid. He, he you know all the kids have done you know really well, and Rebe is just you know just the most incredible mother. You know, so they're they're doing really well in school, really well in sports. Um, you know, Morgan uh, last year uh, as a freshman, they they gave away this this award, Citizen of the Year. Uh, in his high school, and they gave it to Morgan. And I was like, well, it's because he got all A's and captain of his team that asked, asked the principal. He goes, no, it's, it's what he does with the developmentally disabled kids. It's like, what? You didn't know this? I didn't know. And he goes, yeah, he walks every morning. He takes the kids who have 
you know, Down syndrome or autism and walks him to the cafeteria for lunch. And how old? He was 14 at the time, you know, when a freshman in high school, uh, grade eight up here. Uh, so, you know, I asked him about it. He goes, yeah, well, you know, people kind of perceive me to be this kind of good, cool kid, I guess. So I said, you know, I didn't want to see these kids get laughed at. So I walked them to, to lunch. That just makes makes me want to tear up right there. I just felt it like right when you said that. Like, and that I got to tell you, that's good parenting. I mean, you know, things like yeah, that. It's, it's you know, and we try to infuse. You know, we talk about God a lot. Talk about your, your relationship with with God in life and how you can strive to be the best you can be at you know whatever you do, and to try to always do the right thing. When a lot of people don't have the bravery or the you know the chutzpah to get up and, and and to kind of do the right thing, and and you know. You know, that kid is, you know, he does it. And now that permeates to all of our other kids. You know, our kids are, you know, they're, they're all dynamite in, in their own different ways. And, and you know, Ravay and I are just so blessed to, to have them as our kids and, and getting to know them so well over the last year. It's, it's been, you know, the blessing of icing on the cake. I love it. You you just did a uh, a June 6th, the, the D-Day Zoom with 200 people from Band of Brothers. Who was on that Zoom with you? Anybody famous? Well, Donnie Wahlberg finally came on, which is great. Donnie was in. Uh, Kirk Acevedo was on there. Uh, Freddie Joe, our, our technical advisor, and a bunch of the cast. And it was, it was basically mostly just fans just, just kind of tuning in. And again, you know, uh, I don't. this is the first time I had done any kind of Zoom thing for Bender Brothers. And, and it, it was awesome, you know, that Matthew put this whole thing together. And to talk about the bravery of these guys, you know, everyone who was part of Bender Brothers learned so much because – we got to learn from from a generation that didn't complain. You know, you know, here you are, light infantry, supposed to be going into Normandy for a day or two with with a, a leg bag that is probably going to get blown off your leg. That is, of course, if you survive the, the landing. And then to be there for you know almost two months, you know, without you know having to scrounge for food, having to scrounge for weapons, having to scrounge for bullets, having to scrounge for everything. You know, th these guys learned toughness at a young age, and you know, it it it. it permeated through us like crazy. You know, I remember when we were talking about the other day, about four or five days into boot camp, it was almost like a mutiny because they were just beating us up so bad, which, you know, I, I really enjoyed. Uh, really? Then, you enjoyed I, that? I, I, my dad was a sergeant in the Army, so I, I love PT. I, I love, you know, the, the, the let's go, maggot! I, I enjoy that stuff. I really do. Um, <laughs> so, did you see other guys cry? Did anybody get all, real? Yeah, just you know, a lot of the English guys just couldn't, you know, because it's pro, so pro American, you know, Ben Brothers, fantastic. A lot of the English guys who were you know, the sweetest, nicest guys are like, what is, what, it, what, what did we sign up for? Uh, and then Tom Hanks came in uh, a helicopter with his castaway beard and hair and gave us this speech as to why we owe it to the men of Easy Company to work our butts off to tell the truth because they died for us. And were not for them, we wouldn't be speaking English right now. Wow. We wouldn't be the America that we are right now. We wouldn't be the great country that we became were not for these men who gave their lives for us. <sighs> Michael, after that, everyone was just like, yes, sir. Was he emotional? Was he emotional during that speech? Yeah, it was because it, it meant the world to him. You know, it wasn't just because it was his show and, and you know, he was the producer and writer and director. And, you know, he, he, it, Tom Hanks is different from, from just about everyone else I've ever met because he did it because it was the right thing. You know, he flew for, all the way from Hawaii just for a 20-minute speech and then flew right back. Who does that? You, you, know, you know, it could have been a video conference or something way back then or something. But no, Tom Hanks said, let's, let's get on a plane and fly over there and talk to the boys and, 
make sure they're on the right track. And after that, you know, we, 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 we tore it up because we knew we owed it to these guys who gave everything for our freedom. What was the worst day that you could remember that you were just physically and mentally done more so than you've ever been? There had to be probably, it was a winter's day, I I would assume. Yeah, no, it it was the the hardest, you know, for me, always knowing that my character is going to have a mental breakdown. Uh, I I got the greatest acting lesson here. I went to Syracuse University and Lambda and London, greatest schools, theater all over the place, pure method actor crazy um and about two months into dating reve because <clears throat> we met on the first day i got into town uh she says look you you you're not my sergeant you, you gotta like work you you punch your card at clock and when you're done work you work it stays at work and, and you live your life after <laughs> method actor you know i live my character 24 7 this is what i'm supposed to do those are the two loneliest days i've ever had and then I finally went back to Rebe and I said, you know what, I think you got a point there. Maybe I need to live my life a little more instead of just worrying about the character. And after that, you know, since then, my, you know, I, I, it helps so much with acting. I, I couldn't even explain it to you that you have to open up to life to, to really become a great vessel for whoever is giving you the dialogue. So right? you're able to turn off, like you're able to turn off now. You're not. I can turn up between takes. I, 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 I figure out a way to really uh, to do that because, you know, that was a gift that Rebe gave me and, Wow. You know, when I'm when I'm working, I'm working. But when I'm when I'm not, I, I can you know channel it and, and, and such. But you know, the, the worst thing knowing knowing that I, my character is going to break down was when I had to do my fun. You know, near the end when Buck Compton started to break. You know that that was by far the hardest thing that, that I've probably ever had to do as an actor after spending so much time with these guys, knowing what Buck went through, uh, and to see his friends just blown up in front of him. Um, you know, that moment where I come out of the foxhole and I drop my helmet was just, it was, you know, pent up emotion from several months of, of knowing this moment was coming. And what came out of me was, was, you know, unscripted and, and just raw. And I just, you know, I, I like to call it puking on the canvas. And I love just puking my soul on a canvas. And that was, that was one of my best pukes. You know, I just, I just let it all out there because, you know, I, I, I you know, I owed it to, to Buck and, and to his family and, and to everyone to make sure that I did it right. And, and I, I think we did. And, and it was, you know, it was such a blessing. Do you like direction? Do you like when a, when a, a director comes up to you and, and, and tells you, first of all, I hate direction on the first take. Let me do a first take before you give me any notes here. Let's, let's, let, let me get into this a little bit, but is it something that you, you, you welcome it, you enjoy it, you, uh, or is it something that just, you know, always rubs you the wrong way usually and you're like, fuck, here we go again? Well, being, being an athlete that I was, you know, playing so many years in sports right? that I treat the first take like it's game day. So I get uber prepared for things. You know, I know my dialogue backwards and forwards and upside down and everything. You know, Jimmy Stewart, you know, once I read this one quote and goes, what's the key to acting? It's just memorizing your lines over and over and over and over and over again and then just saying them. And, and it's, there's something true to that. So for me, my first take is always my best take. Um, so <laughs> I'm always really prepared and I come with such choices that, you know, I'll talk to the director beforehand, you know, to kind of say, okay, what are you feeling for this? And, you know, what, what, what's your take on this? And I'll, I'll take their information, his or her direction, and then, and then have that in the back of my head and work with it. Um, so generally, I don't generally get a lot of direction because I'm so prepared, you know, in TV, you don't have a lot of time for direction anyway, because you get your lines out. Let's move on. We get a 12 page day to go. 
So, you know, you better be prepared when it, when it comes to feature films, you know, directors have a little bit more time and can kind of tweak and, and get little nuances and such. So I do like when, when, you know, good directors have good ideas. I don't particularly like when bad directors have bad ideas and, you know, I'll just nod politely and say, thank you. And, um, try, try to make them, try to make them happy too. You know, I always want to make everybody happy as a team player. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely prefer a good direction. I mean, have, have you ever had it where you have this direction and you're so set on what you want to do and it's like a, a 180 and this guy's asking you to do things that you're like, ah, and it's frustrating and you like, how do you deal with that? Have you dealt with that? Yeah, in, in, in my earlier years, when I'd come in with, this is what I'm going to do and wouldn't take into consideration what everyone else was doing, you know, then that would be hard, you know, right out of the gate. But I learned quick to, this isn't about me, it's a, it's a team sport. Acting to me is the greatest team sport. So for, for me, it's it's being as malleable as, as possible, like a big piece of clay, just memorizing my dialogue and taking in what the director has. So if you, if you come in so set as to this is your game plan, like Ali, Ali would go into a fight and he really wouldn't watch much tape and see, he'd feel the punches of the first round or two and kind of get through it. You know, and that, that's kind of from acting for me. I don't want to come in with, with such a game plan that, you know, if this is exactly what I'm going to do and the director wants something exactly different, well, then, then, then that's not going to work. Right. So it, it, it's, you know, this is why I love producing now because, uh, you know, I, I, you know, look, I've been doing it long enough. I've been doing it for, you know, 130 movies and TV shows. And well, I don't know what that the tally is now, something like that. I know this. I just celebrated my 53rd death scene in a movie. Uh, <laughs> You've died good. 53 times? 53 times. They're getting good ones, too. Not like, like, piddly thing ones, like good, solid death scenes in movies and TV shows. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Somebody needs to do a compilation of that and show all your death scenes in, in, in order. Oh, that, that would be good isn't that, that wouldn't that be great that'd be really good yeah, yeah yeah that'd be great what's your best death your favorite death scene that you were in um being stabbed to death in the chest by anthony hopkins in red 2 was just a blast because well it was with anthony hopkins <laughs> that was pretty great um death scenes i mean there's just so many good ones um well didn't you die in ravenous Oh, died died in ravenous, ravenous. Yeah, I got eaten in ravenous. That was that was great fun. Um, they hung me upside down to kill me and dried me out like a like a like a lamb skewer and just filleted me. I guess that was the, the best. I mean, you were nuts in that movie. You and and Car Carlisle. Well, no. well, like that. You know, there is there is when I was still pure method that you know we're shooting in the Czech Republic and Slovakia, and I made them take the beds out of my hotel room so I sleep on the floor like a soldier and run obscene amounts of miles and and run up water mains. You know. Completely, I'm you know, kind of a little claustrophobic, so I figured my character had to overcome his his fears of this, and I was nuts. You know, you know, ice cold baths every day just to prove how tough I was, and bazillion push ups and weights and everything. You know, it was now I do the same thing, but but you know, differently. You know, it's a uh, you know, you know I've, I've grown as a human being, and I think you know, even after doing all this acting for so many years, I feel like I'm just scratching at it now. I'm really starting to understand. Oh. That's the new one that, that I was looking for years ago that I wasn't smart enough or confident enough to be able to do it. And now, after doing it with so many people and for so many people, you know, it's 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 a lot easier for me now to be able to to, to really act well. And and again, you know, a lot of it because I have so much to draw from. When when you have a wife like Brevet and five kids and, and a great life, 
there's tons of things you can draw from good and bad. So, um, my, you know, by having a big wholesome life, it, it, it certainly helps with my acting for certain. You do, you do what I do. You, you say, you said it a couple of times where you're not that smart, which is, is bullshit. I, I say that in my listeners always like, stop saying you're not smart. Stop doing that to yourself. It, it stems from childhood and not thinking I was smart enough. And people tell me I'm not smart enough. So I say it, uh, it's not that I think I'm an idiot. I just think everybody's different, different caliber of smart, you know, street smart, whatever. Uh, obviously you're smart. You're, you're an intelligent guy. I mean, you couldn't be doing the things you're doing, right? Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm a good hunch person. I go my, my gut instinct is always really good. Yeah. You know, it, you know, you can go to the great universities in the world and so on. So it doesn't necessarily make you smart. You know, Ravey never went to college and she's by far the smartest person, certainly the, the most streetwise savvy person that, that I know. And she can ask people things that I wouldn't even have the balls to even think about asking and she gets it done. And you know, everyone says you've had such a great career you know, well, like, yeah, I've had such a great career because my partner is, you know, so phenomenal and she keeps me cranking. She's like, you know, what'd you do today? What, how, did, how, how have you moved the needle forward? You know, so, you know, always having that, you know, in my corner is, is immeasurable of, of, the, of the importance to that. You know, you always hear about people constantly working. Like, I'm like, why does that guy go from movie to movie? I mean, he can't be alone with himself or that woman can't, or that actress can't. It amazes me how you can go from one job to the next job to the You really, when you hear about these actors who just love acting, do, are you, do you really truly just love it? You want to act every day if you could? Not every day for, for certain, you know, but when I do, I, I don't, you know, playing villains on TV for the last six years, you, you're working two days a week. And, you know, the cushy hours, you know, the doctor's hours, you know, so and I get to have a life, you know, if you're the, you know, I've been the lead guy on TV shows before and that's, it's, it's brutal. It's so, people don't understand how hard it is, you know, to do, you know, 14 hours a day plus traveling there and back, you know, before you know your hair and makeup, you know, you're 16, 17 hours a day for nine months of the year and you get burnt and you don't really get to act or enjoy it so much. You know, now with, with the 10 episode types of orders, it's so much more refreshing and the writing gets better and the shows are better. Um, I, I think so, you know, right now we're in that, you know, in a perfect time for, for acting that there's tons of stuff out there. Uh, you can, and if you, you know, uh, yeah, I'm blessed because I get work, asked to work, you know, a ton, but I also love that. I love being in front of a camera. You know, it's, it's my favorite team sport, you know, getting in front of that camera and creating something really terrific. And, you know, it's, you know, for, for me, I, it's the only job I've ever really had. It's the only job I, I could ever, I love how my, my thing in the bottom says Morgan McDonough. I just noticed that. <laughs> I just noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, long may I keep working because it's, it's something I'm, you know, I can't pound a nail, you know, I'm, I'm not good at a lot of things, but my catchphrase is, but man, I can act. And, <laughs> you know, you know, it's, and it works, you know, people keep hiring me because, I'm really good at what I do and I'm good on a set and, and it's, you know, I, I love doing what I do. Um, it pales comparison to how much I love my wife and kids. Yeah. But that shows on the set, you know, I would enjoy acting more if it just didn't take as long. Like these, the TV shows, there's like all of a sudden you're four hours on one scene. And when I was younger, I would do it and I would play around, but now you get to be in your forties you're almost 15. You're like, these, it, it's it's a lot of work of doing the same redundancies. Well, you know, I mean, you were you were on the, one of the biggest hit shows of all time, playing one of the greatest villains of all time. Oh, you know, what, what was that like? 
I mean, it was I wasn't the lead. So even though I had to shave my head and work, you know, three or four days a week and there were long hours, but I, I wasn't working five, six days a week, 14 hours like you were talking about, like Tom was. Tom had that that was that was a handful. That was not easy. But you know, when you talk about committing, um, playing that villain, it was it did weigh on me though. It did weigh on me because I felt like I was always just intense. I was trying I would try when the camera stopped, I would make jokes and laugh and fart, but like I had to because it was just so intense, especially some seasons where I had to flip out. But look, I I, I think for me, I did acting because, you know, I was accepted. I think that people as a young, you know, when I was in high school, I, no one knew who I was. No one cared who I was. And then I did a play and all of a sudden people are like, oh, you're pretty good at that. And then I was like, oh, then f hell, I guess I should just do that. And I told the story, but like, it's, it's true. And then I just started doing it because, oh, you're good at it. And people like when you do that, but I never thought for a second, do you, how much I enjoyed it. And I think I enjoyed it for a time and I think I will again, but you know, I'm definitely not so eager. Like I used to be like, I got to work. I got to do this. I think, and I'm very lucky in a lot of ways and I'm very grateful, but I'm also, you know, I, I'm always curious to see, you know, d d how much actors really love acting and that's just their their passion or they do it because it, it's a paycheck or so i don't know it gets a little convoluted yeah it, it, it you know i always say if you, if you do it for a paycheck you do it for the wrong reasons you have you have to do i tell my kids or Renee tells kids you know don't play a sport because you think that's going to be your key to getting a scholarship for for college play a sport because you love playing a sport and then be the best that you can be it's kind of simple, but you got to practice. You got to put in the time. You got to put in the effort. You got to work hard towards something if you want to be great at something. You know. So for me, I love acting. I, I literally love being in front of a camera and creating something different. You know. Um, what, so you're, the play that you were in high school. Do you remember? The play? Remember the <laughs> of play? course, I do. It's the play that everybody does. See if you could name it. Guys and dolls. C close. Grease. I played this so guy. Close. I played this guy, Vince Fontaine. He was just a wacky DJ. Came and goes, hey, hey, I'm the main brain. Vince Fontaine spinning the stacks of wax here at the House of Wax. W-A-X-X, cruising time, 1026. Sharpshooters. And I did oh, this whole. Awesome. And I remember. For you the, still remember it. Oh, yeah. And for the first time in my life, I remember I was terrified. I mean, terrified. To the point where I they had this little W-A-X-X box, DJ box on the second floor of the stage. And. The director said, Michael, we need to see you because I was hiding behind it so you could just hear me. He said, we need to see your face. We need to see your face. Keep moving. Keep moving. I was so scared to be seen. And it wasn't until that play ended and I walked out and I wasn't the lead role. I wasn't a big role. And the applause, you hear a oh. difference in applause. And I was listening. I was like, wait a minute. They just applauded a lot loud, louder, loudly for whatever for me and they just went nuts and i it felt it, i had a feeling that i never had i had before where hey you're good at something that was the first time i thought and that that's how i became an actor is really because i think if they would have booed me off the stage or i don't know if i was okay or I needed to be great in that moment to d then become an actor. I had to be great, I think, in that moment in order to keep That's doing right. it and having the confidence to keep doing it. That was, it was when, when I was in high school, it was, uh, and I tell my kids, I, uh, I couldn't find myself, couldn't find who, who I was. You know, my, my brother, uh, 
made, you know, selected my courses for my freshman year. And he was, my brother was just this, this crazy smart guy. And my, you know, I, I was failing my freshman year in high school and I didn't make the hockey team and I didn't make the baseball team. I was like, what is going on with my life? And then I auditioned for uh, Snoopy and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. And I went to the audition. My mom practiced with me at home and I went to the audition and I nailed it. And the director's like, who are you? I'm like, I'm Neil McDonough. I'm like, well, where are you from? I'm like, from, from here, from Hyannis. Why have I ever seen you in any plays before? I'm like, I know, I've been saying the same thing. Yeah, I didn't get, I tried for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade plays and I got nothing. And finally, you know, my freshman year, I get this and my opening night, I got a standing ovation. And after that, everything in my life changed. You know, it was because of theater that all of a sudden I, I started building up that confidence again. And before you know it, I was, you know, back on the sports teams, class president, class clown, all of these things. I remember, you know, listening to an album by George Carlin. So if you're going to be amount to anything in life, it starts with you becoming the class clown in high school. And I took that to heart. And, you know, I, I became the class clown. You know, who, who would have thought that, you know, when I came out to Hollywood to be a comedian, I turned into the very dramatic actor uh, that, wow. that, I, that I became, which is pretty interesting because I was always the goofy clown guy. Uh, but if it weren't, you know, we were similar. We had the, that that rush at 14 years old of, oh, ooh, this is a complete acceptance right here. This is a good feeling. I want to keep doing this. And then after that, it was just, it was the only job I've ever really had in my whole life is, is entertaining people. Yeah. I think the stars uh, have to align. I mean, I think they did in a, a lot of ways. It sounds for you. I mean, and for me, even I went when I went to college, I was still terrified. And, the, and these, look, for everybody listening, acting classes in the green rooms where the actors hang out they are the most intimidating effing rooms that you could be in they all are like oh he sucks he's you know i'm better than him they had this look on their faces like they're just you know olivier and i'm just in there going oh i don't know hey guys trying to befriend everybody making jokes like i did in the locker room like you were talking about earlier that's right, that's right. and then i remember just finally you know in class i was i was i did something and an actor comes up to me and goes, hey, I'm directing this play, and my actor just fell off. What, will you do it? And I was confronted. Like, I, I'm, I don't know if I even want to become an actor, really, but he, he just says, could you please do it? And I said, yes. And it was Prelude to a Kiss, and it was this the role of her father. And again, scared to death, but then I heard that applause again, and that something rang in my brain that said, okay, dude, now this is obvious. You have to do this. Which, right. which wasn't a good, like my father, I remember taking us out to Denny's. He was a fancy guy. We liked Denny's. And, I, and I'm like, I want to be an actor. I was like a sophomore in college. And he goes, eat your steak. I'll never forget that. He goes, eat your steak. He didn't want to talk about that. It was like, he works for a pharmaceutical plant. He busted his ass. He's never missed a day of work. He worked hard. He worked, you know, and then you want to be an actor. You're going to college to become an effing actor. And so, you know, I didn't get that immediate support. I don't think they... And I had to prove to myself and prove to them that I was good enough. So right. I think you're always doing that, right? You're always trying to prove to everybody that you're good. It's, it's, it's once in life you, you only have to prove to yourself that you get freedom. You know, once you, you know, how many times have you played a game of, say, pool against someone and you get nervous because you think that they're better than you? Well, you're going to lose that game. Yeah. And if you win that game, <laughs> you still, you just, it's, it's, 
But once you give over to, there is no competition in life. The only person I can compete with is myself and be the best Neil McDonough that I can be. Then competition goes out the window and then you can really zone in on being the best you actually can be. You can't be if you are taking other people into consideration for competition. And that's a hard lesson to learn. You know, going to those audition rooms, you know, you'd see, you know, when you're a fresh actor, you go through and see all these other, you know, named faces in the room. You're like, oh my gosh, what, what am I even doing here? You've already lost, you know? So it, it's once you realize how unique and awesome you are that God created only one me or one you, th- then then you don't care so much. And, and then when you, it doesn't go your way, you don't take it so brutally at times, you know? And when it does go your way, you don't get so overexcited because you're like, yeah, well, that's the way it should have been. You know, so you look at, you know, Roger Federer playing tennis. You know, when, when he wins, it's, he, it was like the day at the office for him. When he loses, okay, I lost that one. I, I'll, I'll, I'll try. I got to figure out how to be better next time. You know, those kind of athletes are the ones that I always love watching because it's not overly emotional. Uh, they, they just get their job done uh, and go home and kiss their wife. And, and that's kind of how I've run my career, um, at least for the last 21 years. So you never... To this, you've gotten over that whole thing of doubting or, oh my God, this guy's better. Or this, you're not, you've been done with that for years. You go in and you do your job and you know what you're going to do. And there's no fear. There's no sort of uh, worrying about, can I, can I do this when you get a role or? No, no, it's, I've never, I've never been that guy. I've always, I'm always really, look, I know God gave me this great talent. I'm not going to waste it. You know, so when it comes to entertaining, I'm, I know how to entertain. I know how to, you know, be in front of a camera. I know how to, to get the most out of other actors, how to make a scene better. And I, you know, you know, it's something I've always, you know, I'm, I, I've always been really good at it. And, you know, it's like when you play with better players, your game gets lifted. You know, my high coach in high school says, when you play with crap, you play like crap. Didn't use the crap word, use a different word. Um, you know, and that's always kind of stuck in my brain that when you, when you play with better players, your game goes up. And so I love playing with great players. Um, right. And it's, and it's been, you know, I've, I've been blessed to be able to work with, you know, some of the you know, greatest actors and directors in, in Hollywood. And it's, it's, you know, Rivesa says, you know, you got to write a book saying just famous enough because you can, you know, you can travel everywhere. Everyone knows your face. You know, everyone says hi, but, but you don't have a camera stuck up your backside everywhere you go. Yeah. Because I love acting. I'm great at what I do, but you know, it's, it, you know, my life is so much more important to me than, than just acting and, and, um, and, and bring up these five kids. That's, that's paramount for, for Ravea. That's beautiful. You know, Ryan was, Ryan, my uh, engineer editor was just talking before this. He's like, he was in angels in America. Angels in the outfield. In the outfield. Yeah. Angels in the outfield. I'm an idiot. That's a totally different thing. Angels, yeah, because Angels in the outfield. But like I was, and he's like, and there's so many names in that okay, movie. Okay. Here, here, here's, here's Angels in the outfield for you. So my mom had just passed away and I was just devastated back in 1993. I was back home for a couple months. I was like, do I want to keep doing this? I just kind of moved to Hollywood. I did a few mini series and stuff and things were starting to cook. Uh, and after that, I was just devastated. And then I came out to Hollywood because they were auditioning for this movie, Angels in the Outfield. And it's funny, uh, Eisenhower's favorite film of all time was the original Angels in the Outfield. Just a little tidbit there. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, you know, when I auditioned for it, and in, in, in the script it says, Whit Bass throws pitch. And I told the director, you know, I play college baseball, you know, I've got some ideas, I want to make this guy really quirky and, 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 and different and such. And, and he's like, great, perfect, you get the part. And because I came with such confidence. So, 
um, during, uh, they had like a you know, baseball boot camp and, you know, it was Carney Lansford and all these ex-pro guys, you know, after a couple of days of boot camp, like, you know, you can just, you don't have to be here. You can just, you know, take the week off and do whatever you want, but we got to work these guys, you know, for, for baseball because they're not very good baseball players. I'm like, hey, great. So I went back to my hotel room and every day I would look in the mirror and try to figure out the goofiest things for this character. And so I came up with the idea of, um, and I went to the director and there's tens of thousands of fans in the stadium in Oakland. I said, it's my first shot, first shot of the movie, first shot of a movie, any movie. Uh, and I said, look, if, give me a favor. Wow. Can you follow me with the camera? I'm going to come in from, you know, from first base. I'm going to do something going into the mound. And he looks at me like I have nine heads. He's like, what? Can, can, just trust me, just one take. It's all I need is one take, but I've got this great idea. I've been working out in my hotel room for the last week. And Bill Deere, bless his soul, said, okay, boys, follow me with the camera. And I worked this, this thing sliding in my, in my hotel room. So I, I would run in from first base, slide into the, the pitcher's mound, circle the mound a few times, grab the rosin bag, do this crazy stuff, and then throw the first pitch. And the place went bonkers, just lost it. And Bill's like, you can do anything you want. And you know, after that, since then, I've worked in a, a few movies with Bill. <laughs> but it's that stupid what that I've had since I was a kid that my mom instilled in me. There's no one like you, Neil. There's no one like you. You, you know, As a kid, I had dyslexia. I had a lisp. I had all these impediments against me. You know, you know, and, and, and to, to, to have this kind of confidence that my mom instilled in me, you know, was, you know, amazing. And then, you know, when I met Ravay in 2000, you know, I finally had someone, you know, a woman in my, my corner again, and still infusing that confidence in me. And, and it's just kept going. But I've been blessed that I've had two women mentors in my life that have always kind of pressed me to be the best that I could be. And because of that, I have is dumb confidence and, and I can get up in front of thousands of people and speak and, and, you know, and do these things because, you know, that that's the messages that I have and who I am and what I stand for is, is, you know, it's, I guess it's kind of unique and it's just, it's me. And have you ever had a director call you like Spielberg or anybody like that? Just, you just nodded your head. Spielberg called you. Yeah. Well, one of the, the best calls that Steven ever made to me was uh, we had just done a uh, pilot called uh, Boomtown. You know, I just did Band of Brothers and I just did uh, a Minority Report. Uh, and it was supposed to be Jimmy Smith was supposed to play this Hispanic, swarthy lover type guy on, on Boomtown. And he dropped out in the 11th hour. And Stephen said, what about Neil McDonough? And uh, he, they called me and I uh, auditioned for it. And I got the part and pilot went great. It was an awesome show. Uh, and we're in Montreal uh, doing Timeline. Uh, and I still didn't, didn't have a whole lot of money at the time. And Reve and I went into this really high-end jewelry store looking at, you know, wedding rings. And she saw one and she said, this is the one that I really want. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so expensive. Oh my gosh, I'll never, I'll never be able to afford this. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> bring, 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 bring. Hi, Steven. Hey, Neil, what are you doing right now? I'm in the jewelry shop looking for a ring for Reve. He goes, buy her one the size of Texas because Boomtown just got picked up for a full season. Okay, thank you, bye. <laughs> what? He called you? And, and, that, and that was it. You know, and, and, and you know, I went to the, the, to, to the guy and said, Oh, my. Can you hold this ring for me for like a month or two? Here's a little money, but I just want to make sure this money's coming in, but this is the ring she wants. He's like, no problem. I'll, I'll save it for you. And he did. And, <sighs> uh, you know, if it weren't for Steven Spielberg, my gosh, I would certainly not be here talking to you right now because... You know, you know, giving a guy, you know, I basically stopped acting in, in the late 90s. In 99, I was like, you know, I did pretty well. 
had a good career. It wasn't really, you know, really taking off. It was, you know, 10 years now of, of doing it, you know, had, had fun. I'll just go home and do, you know, local theater in Boston or, or whatever, but I'll go home and run the motel with my, my, my dad and, you know, we'll, we'll do that. And then I got a call. Um, a friend of mine said, Steven Spielberg is looking for you for this show called Band of Brothers. I'm like, really? Because, yeah, they want you to audition. I'm like, when? Uh, Tuesday. Uh, and I got a one-way ticket because I was not good, not get, I was going to get this part. Uh, one-way ticket for $693. That's all the money I had. And I slept. I went to audition for it. Uh, and when I went into audition, um, there's like 15 people in the room. But at this point, I, I, I had no fear whatsoever because if it didn't work, I'm going back to Cape Cod. It's good. Uh, and I'm like, who do I read with? And all of a sudden, this hand reaches up, and it's Tom Hanks. <laughs> what the heck is going on here? Yeah. Uh, and after about 10 seconds, he diffused any tension and did the audition. And after the audition, he says, you know that you crushed that, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I do. He goes, all right, why don't you come back tomorrow and I'll let you read for Buck Compton. Great. Came back to the next day and I read for Buck Compton and slept on my buddy's uh, closet floor uh, for three months waiting for the final callback. And we got the final callback and then I finally got the part. And, you know, I remember the first call was to my dad that, you know, that I got Band of Brothers. And then, you know, the first night I got to London, I met Reve. And because of that, we then we did, you know, when we were, another great Steven stories where we were at the Band of Brothers at the Golden Globes, we just won the Golden Globe for, for best miniseries. And we tried to get into Trader Vicks. It was me and Reve and a bunch of the, the, the Band of Brothers guys and, you know, the security guys, they're like, uh, no, there's a certain roped off area that were just all the huge celebrities and they were having none of us. Uh, and Stephen saw Rebe and I, and he walked across and he grabbed me and he, he had to lift the, the, the rope. He says, come, he says, come on in. And he goes, uh, how do you feel? It was great. It was, it was a great night. He goes, how would you like to play Tom Cruise's best pal in Minority Report? And I squeezed Rebe's hard, her hand. Like I literally thought I broke every, and I'm trying to be like Stephen Queen. Cool. Yeah, Stephen, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. That'd be fantastic. Meanwhile, inside, I'm just like, you know, fireworks and getting going bonkers inside. I was, would be an I would be an idiot, Neil. I'd be like, "What? Are you kidding? Hell yeah, I would." <laughs> and it was, you know, so he's, you know, from that, and you know, you know, other, you know, flags for our fathers and, and Man. public morals, and you know, the missing one. He loves you. Wow, to have Steven Spielberg in your corner, you're yeah, doing all right. And he's he was he's been certainly a, a mentor to me and you know, and, and phenomenal to my career. And, and I, I can never, ever say thank you enough to Steven Spielberg for giving me the opportunity because who knows if I ever would have met Rebe, I'm sure I would have. But, you know, uh, the, the life that I've had ever since I met Steven compared to before I met Steven, uh, it's, it's the gift that keeps giving every day. All right, this is called, this is it. This is called uh, Rapid Fire with, uh, I'm sorry, this is called Shit Talking with Neil McDonough. This is uh, Rapid Fire, so you just answer fast. These are from my patrons. If you want to join Patreon, Please do patreon.com slash inside of you. It's a fun family. Here we go. Leanne P. You have been in many TV series over the years and played many roles. Are there any roles or genres that you refuse to portray or act in? No. B badly written ones. I won't do <laughs> Lauren W. You're such a nice guy in real life. What is the most fun bad guy you have ever played? Walking Tall was a blast because I got to do it opposite Dwayne, and he's such a great guy. But one of my favorite scenes of all time was was uh, the last scene where he takes the, the the big wood log and smashes my legs against the trees. And Dwayne was having a hard time coming up with that. <laughs> Instead of just that look on his face, the director's like, no, 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 be emotional. Emotional. You got to get emotional. And I'm sitting, the camera's on him. My face is right here, the camera's right here, and here's Dwayne right in front of him. 
Emotionally, I can't emotionally. Can you, can you, I'm like, hold on one second. I go over to the craft service tab, table and I give a four or five, and this is where the stupid confidence comes back in. I give a four or five packets of ketchup and I squeeze them into my mouth and the director sees what I'm doing. And he yells action and he smashes my legs. And I, as soon as he smashes my legs, I spit blood all over his face, which is ketchup. To look on Dwayne's face, I thought he was literally going to kill me. And he swung so hard with his rubber mallet that, you know, and afterwards I, I fell to the floor laughing in hysterics because, you know, I, it worked. I got him, but it was, you know, to play, to be, you know, into that kind of character and play the, and really tap into it. And also to help out another actor to, to, to be the best that he can possibly be. You know, was, 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 you know, you know, you look at all the villains that I played and I play a lot of them. It, it's hard to beat that one. You know, Yellowstone was great because I got to go opposite Kevin, which is, you know, Kevin Costner's pound for pound, I consider probably the greatest, you know, screen actor of all time. He understands the camera better than anybody. Um, but uh, working with Dwayne was, was... Wow. Michelle Kay, if you could have a mulligan for something, what would it be? A mulligan for something? Yeah, I'm kind of trying to figure out... I know what a mulligan is. Like in golf, you get an extra swing, Right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. My, my daughter Clover a couple weeks ago asked me, Dad, if you could go back and, and be 45 instead of 55, would you do it? And I said, no. I said, if, if, if that were the case, I would have missed all the steps between 45 and 55 and watching all you kids grow and, 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 and all that stuff. So, you know, I wouldn't change. I, I'm, I'm not really a mulligan guy. You, you, you know, what, what, what God's given me is so, you know, knee-bucklingly incredible and, and, and awesome and inspiring and you know, so you learn from your mistakes. And if you don't learn from your mistakes, you're not really being a great human being. We all make mistakes. We all do dumb stuff. But it, like I said before, it's it's the ones who, who who get up and dust themselves off and realize, how, you know, what they did and try to be better. And, and so mulligans to me aren't, aren't so interesting. Um, so, no. All right. No mulligans, man. Uh, last one, little Lisa. Do you have any funny behind-the-scenes stories from Arrow or Legends of Tomorrow? Um, the, the, well, go, go, if, in thinking, if I had to do a mulligan, uh, <laughs> the, the, the only, the only thing that I miss in my life is pairing the two greatest women that I've ever had in my life in the same room. You know, my mom never met Rebay and that's. I appreciate you. I mean, I could see how important that is to you. I mean, that, that came that's, to you. I mean, you don't need, you don't need to say part. anything. You don't need to say anything after that. I'm not sure if it's a mulligan, but you know, it'll happen one day later on when, when, it, when we're all said and done, but you know, it, you got it, me going, man. Come on. You're getting me going now, Neil. See, you're doing what you did to the rock to me. <laughs> Catch up, please. You're Bring rocking me. You're rocking <laughs> me right now. Gosh. Uh, but by the way, did you do any impressions? No, you know, and it's, it's people say, tell me a joke. I, I can't remember a joke to save my life. You know, it's, you know, <laughs> impressions, you, you know, I'm not much of the impression guy. You know, I've always loved Ted Baxter, you know, for the Mary Tyler Moore show, you know, that, that's a good day, good night, good news. You know, those kinds of guys <laughs> I good. loved growing up. Yeah. Um, but impressions, you know, I guess impressions kind of like, you know, my priest growing up, you know, you know, you know Father Duffy was this, you know, I remember at my, at my mom's funeral. <sighs> <laughs> I was talking to my brother about it earlier today. Father Duffy was, the, you know, uh, this priest who'd been on there way too long and uh, was a friend of the family, but he had Alzheimer's. And at my mother's funeral, he, he shouted, Father Duffy, you know, from Boston, 
started talking about Karen McDougal, how, how, how close she is. He's Catherine McDonough. And his sidekick, Father Oza, would be Pepper. Yeah, Catherine would, uh, <laughs> you know, and in the Himalayas, the Ouija boards, and literally he'd go off on these tangents. So, you know, if I'm doing an impression, it's about, it's, it's generally people, characters from <laughs> me growing up as a kid oh, in Boston, that, that the, these characters are just so, you know, embedded, you know, in, in, in my skull, uh, that, you know, I use those characters, uh, for characters that I play. And, uh, I, I love being able to tap into the crazy, bizarre world of growing up in Boston, uh, in Cape Cod, and and finding these real life, you know, from from very wealthy businessmen to carpenters who have dream problems, or businessmen who have dream problems. Anyway, they all have dream problems in Boston. Um, you know, so it's, that's, that's that's those great. are my impressions. Well, man, this is this is. I hope you had fun. This has been really fun for me, and I it, I, I hate that this is the way we have to catch up, but hey. I love that we, I got to know so much more about you and the family and, and your life. And I really appreciate you taking the time. And I can't wait to, to see you guys again. I really can't. So we got to make that happen. It, it, it was awesome. It's been too long. Last time I saw you was, you know, in a locker room. You know, in a locker room. Was I addressed? Was I dressed, Neil? Uh, kind of dressed. Somewhat dressed. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> keep it clean. No, we don't have no, to keep it clean. You were. I was dressed. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I miss seeing you. Now they're moving back to. We're, we're really excited about that, and excited to get home and um, be. You know, my brother-in-law Ryan, who's you know one of my best friends. You know, to hang out with Ryan and Jen, and you know all my other friends back in, in Los Angeles, and, and to, uh, to be back there is. is I, I can't wait to get back. I well, I want to hang out with you when you come back. You got to invite me over. I got to meet the kids and all that. Oh, you will. You will for sure. For sure. I would love anyway. that. I would love that. I'll keep it clean. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing here. They've heard it all. They've heard it all. They have. Um, this has been a joy. I love you. Give my love to Reve and uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks, brother. All right, man. God bless you guys. Thanks, God bless man. you. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Uh, I really appreciate it. If you like the podcast, if you want to subscribe, that would be grand. Spread the word. Go on our uh uh, Twitter. What's the uh, the the handles if they want to follow us? We are at inside of you pod on Twitter, at inside of you podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Yes, that mm-hmm. would be amazing. And subscribe. Go to YouTube. You can watch these. Uh, spread the word. Also, just another shout out to my patrons who I love you. Uh, if you want to join and uh, give a little to the podcast, a little indigestion here. If you want to give a little more to the podcast, you can go to Patreon. P a t r e o n. Patreon dot com slash inside of you. And uh, I'll write you a message after you join. And uh, there's lots of perks and it's a bunch of great stuff. It's become a big family. A lot of people become very close friends through the Patreon. I never knew what it was. And now I just think it's think the world of it because so many people have gotten so close. Have you heard that? Yeah. Who doesn't want a new friend? Yeah. I mean, you really do meet people who have the same interests. And I can name many people. Uh, Leanne's become friends with Janine and, uh, uh, you know, um, Betsy's become good friends with, I mean, it's just like, you know, they, I see it and it makes me smile. So join Patreon, go to patreon.com slash inside of you. Also go to the inside of you online store. If you want any merch, great merch, um, Lex Luthor stuff and the sunspin.com. You can get uh, band stuff like this cool shirt I'm wearing and you can book a zoom with me and, uh, and you can check when we're playing cause we play every month. So Ryan, did you have a, uh, did you have a good week? Yeah, I had a go. I had a good week. I didn't ask you on the intro. No, because we got to save it for the outros now.
because we got to get to it. Well, we we can get to it, but it's nice to just at least you know see check in. Yeah, week was fine. You you're doing well. You got a yeah. haircut. I I got a haircut and you got a haircut. We had a week of haircuts. We did. We look, look at us. We I think we look a little younger. We I know shaved. you do. We I shaved. don't know if I look younger with a haircut. I think I look older with a haircut. No, I think you look younger with a haircut. Are you sure? Yeah. Is it the glasses that make me older? Let's get inside of the patrons. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to sh- give the shout outs. These are to the top tier patrons who give a lot to the podcast and I don't forget them. I think about them fondly and they go above and beyond. Let's go. Nancy D, Leah S, Trisha F, Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian H, Mama, Lauren, Nico P, Jerry W, Robert L, Jason W, Apothean, Kristen K, Amelia, O, Allison, L, Raj, C, Joshua D, Emily S, CJP, Samantha M, Jennifer N, Stacy L, Jen S, Jamal F, Janelle B, Kimberly E, Mike E, Eldon Supremo, that's Dan, 99 more, Ramira, Santiago M, Sarah F, Chad W, Leanne P, Janine R, Ray A, Maya P, Maddie S, Shannon D, Matt W, Belinda N. Don't know how you got that one. James R, Chris H, Dave H, Spider-Man. Chase. Sheila. G. Brad D, Ray H, Tabitha T, Tom N, Liliana A, Michelle K, Michael S, Talia M, Betsy D, Claire Baby, Claire Baby, Laura L, <laughs> Chad L, Rochelle, Nathan E, Marion, Meg K, Janelle P, Trav L, Dan N, O. Ajeta. 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 Lorraine G, Carrie H, Veronica K, Big Stevie W, Kendall T, Carol D, Angel M, Rhiannon C. I don't think that's it. I think I have a, not few, it. a few more. There's a few more. How do you know that? Because I know I know what the last few look like. All right. You're right. And it's not Rhiannon C. Corey K, Super Sam, Emily C, Coleman G, Dev Nexon, Michelle A, Liz L, Jeremy C, Andy T, Cody R, Sebastian K, Gavinator, Ann H, Dave C, Elliot M, John B, Brandy D, Yavor, Camille S, Bono, or Bano, Bono. We do this every time. The C, the C. Like the and then the letter C. Joey M, P, T, S, and Willie F. Hey, thanks for uh, the new listeners, the new uh, members of Patreon. And uh, I really appreciate it. My week was pretty uh, was pretty good. I'm always, you know, I'm working on myself and uh, working on the stress levels and the anxiety and trying to, you know, we can control our thoughts in a lot of ways. It's not really that you can control your thoughts, it's, but you could sort of, guide your thoughts and you can like stop yourself when you're going down this dark path and say stop this is a thought this isn't real this hasn't happened i do that sometimes i stop myself shut the fuck up this isn't real what are you doing to yourself anyway i'll leave you with that uh from the hollywood hills the hollywood hills of california that california. was michael rose bob and i have ryan Taylor's over here hello we're gonna wave that camera, camera. We wave to the camera. We do it all the time. And uh, thank you for allowing me to be inside of each and every one of you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for supporting the podcast, supporting me, supporting Ryan, Bryce, um, all of us. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.